Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. My name is Joe Armstrong, and thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Emily Zuzik. Emily Zuzik's career in the performing arts is a study in diversification. At varying times, she can call herself a singer, songwriter, guitarist, actress, and model, and she has had success at each of these related but distinct pursuits. Zuzik has released several records of her own music that range in style from a Sheryl Crow-esque rootsy rock vibe to a hip-hopping blend of Amy Mann, Alanis Morissette, and Beck. Her vocals have been heard on NBC, WB Interactive, and she has collaborated with Moby and sung with Blue Man Group. Her newest project is an EP of electronic music called Angelinos, created with Tim LaFave that is reminiscent of a Sarah McLachlan-fronted massive attack. No matter the genre, it's Zuzik's dynamic voice that ties it all together, ranging from a sweet melody to a sultry sneer in a matter of beats. Zuzik somehow even found her way onto a book cover. You can see her likeness wearing a bikini and wielding a spear gun on the cover of a now-out-of-print Penguin paperback edition of James Bond's Thunderball. As if all these accomplishments weren't enough, Zuzik proudly bears the self-appointed title of Rocker Mom, which means that aside from following her muse and sharing her gifts as a musician, she has the most important job of all, because anyone knows anything about moms knows that it's a 24-365 gig. Welcome to Independence Day, Emily Zuzik. Hey, Emily. Hi, how How are are you? I'm well. I'm very, very well. Happy New Year to you. Well, Happy New Year to you as well. We all survived. We did, and that's a beautiful thing. Barely. In some ways, well, the Cubs won the World Series last year, which for me personally, yes, exactly, is a big thing. I'm not even that terribly into sports, but if I was, it's the Cubs, and hooray, hooray for us! Well, there you go. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Independence. Thank you Day. so much I'm for having me. So happy to have you on the show. You are a wonderful, wonderful singer. Well, thank you. I've been doing my pre-production and listening to the stuff that you're doing, and people stick around. You're going to sing some songs right here in the world headquarters of Independence Day. And I think the listeners out there are going to be very, very pleased. Well, I hope they are. To hear what you're about to do here in a few minutes. But I wanted to talk, one of the first things I wanted to ask you about is styles of music. Because you, you've you been doing music for a pretty long time. Yep, and that's an understatement. you've kind of moved styles around a little bit. Um, and like a lot of professional singers, you're capable of singing different styles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and your new and your new EP, Angelinos, is more of a tech, like a techno electronic kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, it's what did I come up with lately? Sort of an electro avant rock. Yeah. Project sub 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 genre. It's and it would be that way because it was very heavily a collaboration of a lot of players who are more in the. Fusion, rock, jazz worlds that came through Tim LaFave, who is my friend and the bassist and my co-writer and is a pretty heavy cat on that scene. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's hard for me sometimes to say it's just my record because originally we were going to call right. it a band called Angelinos. Right. Um, but the people involved really had no time to do any touring or any support yeah. for it. So we put it out under my name, but and I'm very proud of it. It's just it's daunting to think about playing some of that material live and I think of it as more of a you know, this is music for licensing. I always said right. 
well, I can't swear, but I would say do it for the effing art of it. And right. uh, that was the whole point behind it. It started with, um, I bought a MIDI keyboard off someone. I never had a MIDI keyboard before. And I started writing on keys, which is a very different way my brain works than writing on a guitar. And some of these songs came up and then Tim had some stuff and it just grew organically. And then all these people kind of added to the pot. So it really is a rock soup. And um, <laughs> Wait, wait, what's that word? Rock, rock soup. soup. I like that. It's, it's a fun little phrase. I used to actually run a night called Miss Emily's Rock Soup back in Brooklyn that was, you know, a melange of talent. You know, right. no one style. And I've always listened to a million different things. And so... I'm very much influenced by very disparate yeah. artists. Well, that's it's exactly why I asked that first question. I just get that impression about you having done, you know, my my homework before I try to read up on everybody before they come mm -hmm. on the show. So I have something to ask them. And you're kind of I don't say you're all over the place because that would be, you know, maybe taken in a pejorative sense, and that's not what I mean. I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, your new EP is kind of electronic techno whatever you'd call it would you the like soup you came up with a descriptor electro a few minutes ago like electro avant rock. soup of some kind but you know the stuff you were going to hear tonight is you know a little more standard rock-ish maybe folky yeah, rocky kind of roots rocky sort of i i look at it this way there are a lot of shifts in how the material is presented but i'm a very classic pop rock writer okay I don't really stray outside of a formula as far as the actual structure of the song. And I think that's because, you know, I learned from listening to the Beatles nonstop right. at, you know, age 12. So I studied how they wrote songs because I was so amazed by it at the time. And I really tried to work toward that in whatever dressing you put on it right it's a little different story when i collaborate with djs because usually in those cases of co-writing i get a track and i just have to make it happen oh right so sometimes it's a little more streamlined the chord progressions it's a lot more subtle and shifting um but i still always write verses and choruses with a bridge takeaway you know yeah, it's the middle eight yes exactly exactly because that was my question i guess if i were to distill this down if you had to find pick like a home style and i don't mean like yo home slice i mean mm -hmm. like what would your like your grounding style be like where would you start i guess maybe you've already answered that like kind of with I the beatles pop sort rock of, yeah i mean rock. it's it's somewhere in there there's because they were really smart about how they combined influences. You know, they were listening. They were part of the skiffle movement before they went to Germany. <laughs> I love when people say that word. <laughs> I know. Isn't it such a funny word? And, you know, that's like roots and R&B and blues kind of through a filter and then given a little English twist with all of the visual reference. And, you know, the Stones were the same way. I mean, right. they're just playing American music. And that's actually an interesting way to describe it. When I toured to london i used to play with this italian guitarist and he said well you play american music and i said oh okay well that really you know we don't think right, about right. it that way but like it american really cheese. is outside of you know our bubble it's kind of american music yeah it's a mix of like our country is a mix of people and that music is a mix of styles from all different kind of people bringing their traditions into one big pot once again the pot right. reference not but you know right <laughs> so maybe I make you know pop rock maybe it's American music yeah and it's it's funny too because you're right about rock and I think you know we all here we are in 2017 trying to find like the name for our subgenre 
especially in the dawn of the internet age, now that we can find an audience for whatever conceivable crazy like techno klezmer style we come up with, whatever it is, we're like, we always feel, I think I do at least as a musician, like, well, they ask you, what do you sound like? And, us, and, and you don't want to name it as an artist because then they've got you pegged right away. It's like, okay, I right. sound like Tom Petty. And that's just teasing. It's a little too easy anyway. Mm-hmm. So you try to find like a descriptor. Like, what do you sound like? Well, you know, I'm, I always gotten down to percentages. Like I'm like 87% rock and like 6% country and the rest is just whatever else I've ever heard in my life, you know, or maybe those percentages aren't even right like logical. That shifts day to day. It like does. If I'm, if I'm listening to Monk, it's like I want to play cluster chords, and I want to play, <laughs> you know, I play instruments I can't play. And I'm a right. big Tom Waits guy, so like his whole thing is playing, you know, playing instruments that you don't normally play because your hands. His phrase is, "Your hands are like old dogs. On your instrument, they're just going to take the same path." That's over true. Over and over and over again. So to, and it's true because if you pick up a a different guitar than you're used to, yeah. or you sit down at a piano, you will go different directions when your brain starts to go to that writing place. Right. And that's how a lot of the electronica stuff that I've written began. Yeah. And Or co-writing with someone who has more of a background in one area than another and really trying to let the collaborative process shape what we make. Right. So maybe to backtrack even more from my initial question is when listening to Angelinos, which was actually the first thing I heard from you, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to get like an electronic artist on the show. Mm. You know, something because I, I, I always try to spread it out. I know so many alt country people and right. like country rocky people, and I love that stuff, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I live and die by Uncle Tupelo. That said, like, this show is not an alt country show. Right. The show is a music show, and I want it well, to be everything. Well, it's also hard. You have to figure out how to do that show, because you either need like five to ten people, or you have to know the technology right. to replicate it. And I'm not educated in that. And right. I grew up playing guitar. I played minimal keys. And it's one of those things where I'm comfortable doing what I do, and presenting that show for a while i was thinking about for a while i actually did play with backing tracks and it always felt really strange to me yeah i went on the road many many years ago um and a girlfriend and i did this tour and we built this box that had had lights and it had a smoke machine and it had a strobe light that we could trigger by a foot pedal and we would play our guitars and co-sing with one another and play percussion for the other person and then we'd have backing Beats and Bass. Right. It's called the Babes with Beats Tour. Um, with another person who's now in the old country scene, Pi Jacobs, who you oh, may yeah, know. Oh, yeah, Pi. Love the so, Pi yeah. Jacobs. Yes, Pi and I go way back. And we did this tour in, I think it was 2002. Um, we did 28 dates in 30 days. <laughs> and, um, You're a masochist. Yeah, it, it. we had to take some time off from one another afterwards. <laughs> you know, it's one of those like, I we need a break. But um, yeah. I love you, but I'm only going to keep loving you if you get away from me. Exactly. Well, everybody needs that. It's yep. just part of the process with any relationship. So yeah, we did that for a while, and that felt really strange to me at first. And then it kind of, I noticed people didn't care that there right. weren't people on the stage. They liked the fact that it was a full demonstration of the music. But... The stuff we were doing with Angelinos to bring it full circle was a little outside of that box. It definitely skewed into that weird fusion rock jazz zone where right. there were a lot of tools that you naturally find in synth electro music, but they weren't doing the typical repeat on a loop things. They right. were kind of going out to pasture and coming back, and and that's what was fun about it because it had this 
like one foot in each world, half in the electronics sort of building in a box, and then one foot in this weird improvisational rock jazz avant thing. Um, And that's why I, I still, I've only done one of the songs live with a band, and it's the most, I think, organic, although you could probably break down these songs and do them, they'd probably skew heavy. They'd skew like a hard rock song, yeah. probably. Um, and so, you know, maybe more of that will happen in 2017. Yeah. It would be fun to play more of that material. I like it, and yeah. I don't know how to bring that show to the stage just yet. It's different. It, pre- it presents logistical challenges. Yes, it right? does. And there are different log- logistical challenges. Like, I know how, both as a performer and as a technician, I know how to get a rock band, a classical band, a jazz band, a country band... A, a vocal jazz group, a show choir, uh, on stage, off stage, mix it, master it. Like right. that, that's all logical to my head. Once you start getting into electronic instrumentation, and especially electronic drums, I mean, it's not as simple as like putting a playing a DAT machine like as the mm-hmm. way it used to be. It's dating me. Now it would just be off a laptop. It's not as simple as just pressing play and letting it go, which I guess in some ways it is. But if you want it to be interactive, like to your point from before, like the chicks with the box or whatever you called it. Um, the there are different challenges if you want to make it different. It's not just if you're not just like like doing a backing track like a dance group would do. Right. Play the track and kind of lip sync or and actually do, do sing the performance. with the track. Yeah, and then to, to tie it back to live, you know, to live performance, like you're absolutely right. I was going to say the exact same thing. The audience, to a large degree, doesn't care. They don't. They want to see a performance. They want to be entertained. We, I think, as the artists, think like well, we want to give them more. We want to give them something that like makes sense to us as a performer. And I think that's an interesting uh, like juxtaposition or an interesting disconnect perhaps between Mm -hmm. us and our audience when you start getting into those styles. Well, it's, it changes. I mean, it's changed over time. It wasn't an issue back in the sixties, you know, people weren't bringing technology into that realm. I think it kind of, I mean, you started hearing keyboards in the sixties, but they really kind of came to their time in the seventies and then into the eighties. And, you know, people have mixed feelings about synthesizers. They are machines. There is a distance and a coldness to them. And sometimes that coldness is really beautiful. Right. And sometimes people just want to hear really raw, rough voices yeah. and acoustic instruments. There's power in both of those scenarios. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of a dolt when I come to that <laughs> style because I don't know it. I don't know how to make it. Like we, um, uh, we were. I was driving up through Burbank the other day on San Fernando Road, um, mm-hmm. and there was a DJ school. I pa- happened to pass by, and I was like, okay. First, I was like, oh, you know, this is there's the kids with their DJs. Now they've been doing it for twenty five years. But um, there's a part of me that was like, I would actually that would be fun. Teach yeah, me but how you know, DJs isn't necessarily electronica. No, 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 I, I know. I, I'm, I'm but aware. just like working the, the I, I decks it. and the board. That's you know? what I mean. Like, I mean, I know how to work a board. I've actually done, I've been paid to DJ dances and things like that, but I don't know how to scratch records. And I think that would be interesting to me. Like, mm-hmm. teach me how to do those beats. Like, I can loop stuff all day long and I can make stuff and I've made my own loops out of drums in studios right. for projects that I've produced. But it's different once you start getting those records in there. Like, I sure, if I want to just loop a section from a record, easy leg pie, done. Done and done. But like integrating that the way they do in a live performance sense is fascinating to me. So if I had the money, someone give me a hundred bucks, I'm gonna go take that that DJ class. Mm-hmm. In any case, to step back, the bands I think from the sixties that were doing this and in early into the seventies were like bands like Pink Floyd. Right. Who were kind of doing a little bit of both. Yeah. They had live instrumentation. Dark and Side then of the Moon is one in, of my favorite yeah. records of all time. 
for that reason. You start hearing synths. You're hearing things get a little improvisational in some ways, but also incredibly crafted. And it's a... Uh, it's it's just such a dense record. It's yeah. so easy. The songwriting is so easy, and yet the whole production is so dense. It's 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 amazing. Like you could see the simplicity and the complexity doing a yeah. little waltz together, you know, or something. I was arguing with a friend on Facebook this week. He's from Chicago, and he teaches songwriting at the Old Town School of Folk Music, which is a really cool place. If you're ever in Chicago, stop in there. But he doesn't like Pink Floyd. He finds them boring, and I just don't get. I don't. I guess I could understand how, if you like only listen to Steely Dan, how you would think that Pink Floyd was boring. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, like that is so written into the code of my DNA. Someone asked me the other night, what's your earliest memory? My earliest memory on earth is Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> the very first thing I remember as a child. Anyway, a little bit of too much information about me. My guest this week, Emily Zuzik, Z-U-Z-I-K. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Thank you. And I did my homework on that as well. She is a Los Angeles-based singer, songwriter, performer, performs other people does her own music as well we're going to hear some music from angelinos which is her brand new ep right now actually this is a track i think right here emily this is alone correct this is alone tell me just a wee bit about this and we'll hear it all right this is an interesting story it's not my story i mean we all draw on our own to embellish but it's actually the story of my aunt who i'm very close with and uh how i envisioned her approaching life after her partner, my uncle, died last year or the year before. I think it was last year. Um, and no, it was the year before. And they were very close. They were, they were just, they were always going to be together. And they had not only their love and they had a working friendship and they worked together, but they, they both had this almost uh, stress-free religious connection as well, um, where I was told this by my cousin. I didn't realize that they used every time they saw one another, they would kiss one another three times, and that was supposedly symbolic of Father, Son, Holy Ghost for them because they were so they had religion in that way. They but they were also the most welcoming. Like everyone lived with Elaine and Tom at some point on their house. They used yeah. to run an arts camp up in. Uh, northeastern Pennsylvania, kind of the whole dirty dancing style like camp. And nobody puts baby in a corner. Nobody puts baby in the corner. But uh, Auntie Lane was, I asked her, you know, at the funeral, I said, how are you doing? And she said, well, she's like, not good. She's like, this was my best friend, my lover, my companion. And just to have someone who, you know, is 30 years my senior being that frank with me um, was really strong and powerful. And I don't even, you know, I don't know how it came together as yeah. a song, but it was it was really sort of my version of what I thought her journey might be. Yeah. Well, this is cool. I can't wait for you guys to hear this. And this is a little caveat I'm going to give you. If you don't like electronic music, stick around because there's going to be some other music. We're going to mix up the styles here. It's not just going to be electronic music. If you do like electronic music, stick around anyway because you're going to want to hear what she does. This is my guest, Emily Zuzik, this week in Independence Day. Check this out. This is the song Alone. Looking out the window Checking to see if I heard your car drive by Another heartache keeps on crushing I can't help myself, I tell myself to try 
Of me. 
My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you for listening to Independence Day. Come to you Wednesday nights, 2017. I think this is our sixth calendar year of doing this. We've been doing this wow. show, it seems like, since the dawn of time. And I mean that in a good way. Thank you. It's been a long time. At the end of this year, I think we are approaching our 200th show. Oh my gosh. So uh, wow. early warning here, I think we're going to plan some kind of event, or maybe it'll be just about a year from now. I think it's going to be, if I time it out right, I think it'll be just after the New York. So I don't want to do an anniversary thing at the holidays, so it'll probably be January 2018 we're looking at. So Emily Zuzik, that is her song Alone from her Angelinos EP. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for inviting me. It's it's uh, it's lovely to meet you. It's lovely to it's hear lovely you to perform. Meet you too. <laughs> and uh, I always like meeting new friends, so I will consider you a new friend in Los Angeles. That sounds great. Lean on me. I'm here for you. Uh, so let's talk about in your bio. One of the things that's like it comes up a lot is this rocker mom <laughs> that's concept. Mine. That is my thing. <laughs> yeah, that's your thing. So so elucidate on this thing. Like why make oh. that a thing? Well, because uh, you're a rocker and you're a mom, I'm obviously. A and but a mom. beyond that, um, they both seem like very powerful roles that. Uh, are challenging <laughs> for a number of reasons. And, you know, it's a term I heard thrown around, but it just seemed like I don't even know where it started, but it just fit. It it felt like me. It, it embodied the two things that I'm really passionate about, which is my music. Rocking. <laughs> Rocking. And mommy. My music. And, and my daughter, who's amazing. Um, I saw a video. She's cute as a button. <laughs> She's my mini me. She's uh, going down the dark path of rock and roll herself. Mm-mm. But um, yeah, she's rough, rough, the rough, rough waves road. ahead. Yes, exactly. The only thing I hope I can do get really, really right. You know, you, you try to do as much of your best work as you can, but when you're working to craft a child, I mean, it sounds so mechanical. It's not the best way to use it. But you know, you are you are very much responsible for a large portion of how your kid turns out. A lot of it is innate. But, you know, my my upbringing was very different than the one she's being exposed to. And I took a lot of time to get to where I felt most comfortable being me. Maybe that would have happened if I grew up in the same scenario she's growing up in. But I can only imagine that um, some of it is environment. Some of it is how exposed the parents were to different things at the point in time when you were born to them. Um, and, you know, I had my daughter late. So I've done a lot of living and I've right. seen a lot of the world. And I hope I can bring the perspectives and the wisdom that I've acquired and allow her space to have her own things and not be so controlling that's a big thing yeah. you see around on the mom circuit. So I don't know. Making like, up for your mistakes. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You know, like you read the books and then you're like, at a certain point, you're like, I got to throw these books out because they're making me crazy. They're giving me guild complexes I do not need. And uh, so that's that's where Rocker Mom came from. And I guess the reason I bring it up is that, I mean, you, a woman in music as a career in your life for the past Long time. Long time, let's just say. <laughs> let's be respectful here. Uh, in some circles, that could be seen as a liability. Sure, but... But you're, but see, but what I respect about you is that you've got the courage to just put that foot forward because that's what you are, right? It's true. Well, I have another phrase that I have to edit as well because I have a lot of great phrases with expletives in them. But my, I call her my hippie aunt um, or my hippie mom. She wasn't technically my mom or my aunt, but there was a family we grew up 
our dads used to practice law together a million years ago. And when I would go to the camp fields, they would always have lots of instruments. And she was an ERA and now in the 70s and very different world than the one I was growing up in. And she said one time, she said, you know, you get to this age and your giva breaks, begins with an S. Um, and I just thought that was the best phrase. Yeah. Because it totally describes some phenomenon that happened to me at some point. I don't know. I guess I'll just say it in my late 30s. Um, where it was like, you know, all this like trying to be cool or trying to like hide your age or hide this or I'm like, I own it. I am like, I am a woman who's considered middle age. I'm in top form. And any vocalist will tell you, like, especially in the opera world, like you don't get to your peak age until, you know, late 30s, early 40s. That's when your voice is its strongest if you haven't killed it by then, you know. Right. And What's so, left of it. Right. And, <laughs> you know, other than that, I would say I'm probably in some of the best shape of my life because I just, there were lots of things that were distracting. Mm-hmm. And once a lot of those things were either removed or I made decisions to remove them, uh, things got a lot clearer. And is, so is why... parenthood part of that? I'm sorry? Parenthood, is that part of that? Part of it, but it was stuff before parenthood too. I started making some very deliberate changes in lifestyle and um, the people I was, you know, hanging with. Not that, you know, people, I had to cut people off, but you just figure out where you're going to put your time. Yeah. And... How I always say this now, you have one pie. You can cut it up however you want, but you don't get any more than one pie, so you got to figure it out. And you realize that if you want to add new things to your life, sometimes you have to let other things go. Correct. And it just, it gets a little easier. I mean, that's my experience. I can't speak for everyone. Um, I've lost a lot of people. It was very sad about, I've I've met a lot of people who've made my life better. They've, I've made musical associations in Los Angeles and things that have happened in the past five years that probably would not have happened to me if I had stayed in New York. And I think they're changing me in good ways. And they're making me a stronger writer. I'm being, I'm associating with people who I totally respect. Yeah. And they're seeing me as an equal at the table. Yeah. And that is very humbling. Let's talk a little bit about that, but first I want to hear a live song. Okay. Because like, I mean, I want to hear about because sure. I, I myself live in New York, and I always find the geography of people's music careers very, very fascinating because it really does inform stylistically what you do, mm-hmm. uh, how the, the arc of your career, you know, when you're in, we'll, we'll save it, we'll save it. I mean, I'm sure. just kind of leading up to it. But what is this first song? You've got a good band here, by the way. Oh, thank you. They are quite great. <laughs> we've got Love those uh, boys. Jeff Perlman. Yes. He's going to play some electric guitar, and he's got a wonderful Gretsch, mm-hmm. awesome Gretsch, and also Topher Alice, Christopher yes. Alice, uh, who one of my favorite drummers, honestly. He's great. He's been in at least one other time. I think he was in with Cersei Link, and watching him, you know, and I'll, honestly, you know, watch, and I'm not telling any, breaking any rules here, like, we've taped the songs already. I watched, I just got to watch you guys record all these songs, and they're fantastic. Well, thank you. It's a delight to watch. It's one of my favorite aspects of the show, is to get to sit there. And be the only audience member, while an artist, in a, you know, in kind of a, a laboratory setting mm-hmm. with lights and cameras and you know, recording. You know, it's like a recording studio, but it's live. Right. And watch them do their thing. So I love watching all. You guys are fantastic. Well, thank I love you. It. I can't wait for everybody to hear this. So tell me, what is this first song? The first song is called Motels. It's off of a record I put out in 2011. Uh, the album was called The Wild Joys of Living. 
And um, I made a video. It was like my first produced video uh, ever was to that song. Interesting. It's stuff. out there. So like, it's on like YouTube. Ca- catering truck type producing or no? We uh, I I worked with a production company that a friend of mine had, and we uh, we found a motel. We went upstate New York, and um, we had this idea to to have the song. You know, the song's set in a motel and how motels can bring out a lot of stories. And so right. we were we were going to make the ghosts of the motel's previous inhabitants uh, become part of the story. So I got to wear a lot of wigs and outfits. Tom, there's, very, there's a very Tom Waitsian concept. I guess so. They but take it's on true. the dreams of the ones who've slept there. Yeah. And just, you know, knowing that it's the timeline of the world. You go someplace, they're been people there in the past and there'll be people there in the future and like who were those people and what were their stories exactly what i'm saying so my guest this week emily zuzik stick around she's going to play a few more songs after this first one the first song we're going to hear is motels let's check this out Done doing to you. 
That is Emily Zuzik, accompanied by her band for this particular event. That is Jeff Perlman on guitars and vocals and uh, Christopher Alice. Does he prefer, like, I always thought he was Christopher, but now he's telling me he's Topher. He's I like always a man met of mystery. him as Topher. Interesting. Yeah. He's Maybe. an international man of mystery. He is an international man of mystery. If you want, a, like, a pastime, follow him on Facebook and just watch him because he posts where he's going for. He does fly dates mm-hmm. all the time, which means for people who aren't musicians, he's traveling to do shows. But, like, not a tour. Like, he'll do a fly date. He'll go to, like, Omaha for one show or he'll go to mm-hmm. Bangor for one show or whatever. And I love seeing where he is. It's like, where in the world is Topher Alice is kind of the thing that I like it's to do. It's true. It's true. It's like that, too, when you're trying to book him for shows. <laughs> I imagine it is. And I know that well. My band's like that, too. So, Excellent song. Thank you. Excellent performance. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Can't wait to hear more stuff. And just a quick side note. Do you know the whole shtick about Bruce Springsteen? Uh, I think this might have been when he moved to L.A. He had spent so many years on the road in like Motel 6s mm-hmm. early on in his career. Like when he got some money, he had in his house, he had a, a complete replica of uh, like a Motel 6 hotel room built in his house. Are you serious? Down to the same suppliers for the carpeting, wow. for the crappy furniture, for the dopey scratchy. I wonder if he got like bodily fluids out of stuff. Oh. But anyway, but like the art and the like, you know, I, mean, I don't know if you put a bathroom in there too, but it was like a replica because that's where he did so much writing. Ah, and that's so where his he, comfort zone. It's like that's what his comfort zone was, which is kind of counterintuitive in a weird way. And I wonder if it's true. Like, this was long before the era of fake news. So, I, you know, maybe a little more credence to that than other stories we're hearing these days. I don't know. I'd never heard that story, but it's fascinating. You're right. I'm going to just choose to believe it. Okay. Because it amuses me. We are good on that, then. We are. All right. So, all in agreement <laughs> there. So, uh, let's talk a little about geography. Okay. Right? Your formative years were spent, if I'm correct, you said upstate New York or so? No, I was born and grew up outside of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Okay. Yes. But there's a Syracuse in here somewhere. Yes. I went to school ah, at okay. Syracuse I've at skipped, the same time as Topher. I've but skipped all your formative another, years. Even though we'd seen both each both of our bands. Right. So, forgive me. I've skipped most of your formative years. And That's I skipped okay. right to college. There wasn't much to write about. I mean, okay. I wrote lots of songs, but there wasn't much yeah. else going on. So. We'll talk about songwriting in a minute after this. But first, I want to do this geography thing. So, like, how... How did being from there inform you as a musician? Like, was well, there... I knew I wanted to get out from the day I was okay. cognizant. So it, in some cases, it didn't really matter where. Like, I got into Syracuse and I got into Carnegie Mellon, and I turned down Carnegie Mellon because I wanted to move more than an hour away from where I grew up. And um, yeah, that's the biggest thing. It just, it's, it's. It was a very provincial place, and that's very safe for a lot of people. They know their friends. They know their family. People like them. Yeah. And I just knew there was something else out there, and I had to go find it. I don't know what it was. Because when I did leave, after I left to college, then I moved back because I didn't have a job, and I wanted to go to New York. And I didn't have a job, so I didn't just go there. Um, but I'd met someone on a round of interviews in a bar randomly that was, he was a writer and he was struggling with, I want to move to LA. And I said, well, that's great. And we started this email thing. And at one point I said, oh, I don't know. My parents are like making me like take this bank job again. He's like, get off your butt, take whatever money you have and get to New York. He's like, cause if you don't leave now, you never will. And I don't know what it was about that one thing, but it got me there. Called you out. He called me out, and um, he, I think, actually got to L.A. too, but then, you know, you lose touch, but these are, like, characters that are put in your path to, like, right. help you make the right decision, <laughs> and I don't regret it. You know, I moved there. I was crashing on a couch from a friend from college. I didn't have a job. 
within two weeks, I was working freelance. Yeah. Somebody left that house. I took over the apartment. And, you know, and it's been fine since. It hasn't yeah. always been comfortable since. Right. But, you know, nothing truly, truly bad ever came of, from not choosing the safe path. And then how did New York, I mean, it's impossible for New York to not change you as an individual. I mean, True. I spent some time there, lived there for a while, and didn't understand it at first. It was, it kind of bucked. You yeah. Know? And New York is not a place to buck. That's true. And that's basically my story. The first time I was there, I was only there for a year. And it got to be too much. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And New York's not a place I ever wanted to be when I didn't have a focus because I just felt really small and suffocating. And the person I was seeing at the time had lived in the Bay Area and we traveled there a couple times. And that felt really comfortable and safe and provocative because. If anyone's been to San Francisco, especially San Francisco in the late 90s, before the first big dot-com wave, right. it was still sort of this innocent, wacky, weirdo... Funky place. Funky town, yeah. And I was living in the Mission and, um, you know, wearing all thrift clothes. And, you know, that's fine. But it was like my big breakout moment. I needed a country of distance from the East Coast in order to feel safe, to try on whatever costume I wanted, to figure out which, you know, what stuck. You know, a lot of times I find that you're re- you you meet people and sometimes you get really close and sometimes you kind of take on their stuff. And then over time, it, it sort of shifts out or you hope it shakes out and you don't become a sim- simulacra of someone else. But I find the same is true with Ooh, geography. $5 word. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Um, yeah, I took a Foucault class at Berkeley Extension. Um, and it was um, it was a really good place. Everyone who surrounded me were freelancers. A lot of them were like early programmer stage computer nerds, but we would go camping and nobody really had like a real job. So it felt kind of Peter Panny, you know, like (laughs) it's like, hey, you want to ride your bikes to Baker Beach? Yeah, let's do it. Um, And there was a lot of that. And that was perfect for me at the time. I had never done what I necessarily wanted to do in my entire life. I was always trying to be this this thing, this person that I thought people expected An me to be. An idea of what you thought other people expected of yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And it was, I had stopped, I had been writing off and on, I mean, I'd been writing since I was 12, but I never really played out, never really played in New York. And then I'd kind of put down the guitar and songwriting in general because I was writing fiction or something. And I was working as a freelance journalist. And then I broke up with the guy that I moved there with and I was petrified because everyone I'd met was through him. And Mm. I was like, if they turn on me, I have no one. And I was really, really scared. And then I was surprised, I don't know why, I guess because I was like 22 or 23, that everybody was like, no, you're cool. Like, he's being a, you know, a whatever. A jerk. Yeah, yeah. You find all the good words that like, I can't, like they're not the ones that are natural. I work in radio. I've done this a couple times. So... And then I had this small family that was there, and they were like, you can be whoever you want to be. And, and I s- came back to music. Music is, And I was so scared. I was playing open mics, and like my legs were shaking, and I'd mess up my songs. And I'd always been a singer, and I couldn't necessarily hit the notes because I hadn't done it in so long, and yeah. I hadn't done it in front of people. And that small open mic community built and built and it's from there that you know that i ended up being a band here and a band here and started my own band and like it wasn't it i just knew that's what i'm supposed to do and that was in san francisco and it was a combination of the fact that it was 
a small town. Mm -hmm. So you knew people, you could meet people very quickly. I mean, granted, I was meeting people in a little circuit of people that were doing the same thing I was. Like, I didn't know anybody in, you know, some of these places where people have real jobs or whatever. I just, I didn't know those people. Um, And then there came a point, well, it was a combo of factors. Uh, Dot-com fell through. So I was freelancing as a freelance writer and content stuff. And so I didn't have any work, and I had really high rent. And In San Francisco? Uh, well, I find that very hard to believe. Yeah, well, at the time, my first rent was pretty laughable, low, yeah. you know, so... Once upon a time, like, I had a drummer who lived up there, too, and he used to tell stories from that era. He was like oh, a yeah. rocker. Yeah. A rocker dude. Like you didn't the, have to do much to, you like, to make your rent. You didn't have to do much, you could just find a place. And then there were also squats, you know, people would just, like, you know... Yeah, that, I think that was, like his, that was, like, his modus operandi was the squat. The squat, exactly. Mm. So, yeah, that that brought me to the next phase of like, well, let's go to New York. It's time to go back. Obviously. I have a focus. I'm going. And it was right after 9-11. So a lot of people were like, I'm getting out. And then there were a bunch of us who were like, it's time to go to New York, yep. you know, <laughs> hoping for like some weird East Village, you know, strange art explosion. Um, and it was there that... I learned about the professional side of it. You know, I've always been kind of like, whoever could play the gig could play the gig. Do we rehearse? Nah, maybe not, you know. And there I started playing with a caliber of musician who was top flight, and it forced me to get yeah. my game up to speed. Yeah. Because I'd been lazy. And I've been lazy about a lot of things over my life. I've had it easy, and I didn't like, oh, don't worry so much. But there I was like, oh, well, if I want to take it to this next level, it requires some work on my part, too. Correct. Enough of being a B student. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, you know, yeah. there's a lot of us, I feel like, in our society, maybe in our generation, I don't know, where it's like, I could be a nice student, but why? What's the difference between A right. and B? I'm not getting a lot more money between an A and a B. I'm mm-hmm. not getting a prettier girlfriend or a smarter girlfriend between A and B. I can do just fine with B. It's you true. know, and you can kind of coast on through. But you're right though. If you really, you know, if you really want to be and it's funny, there's it's almost a thing. Like you look at I just watched Steve Jobs the other night. It came mm-hmm. up on HBO and I was like, "Oh, I, I should watch a little bit of that and check it out." You know, the uh, what's his name wrote it. Um Aaron Sorkin. Okay. And uh kind of felt like a play in a way. And, you know, there's like, it's the guys like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates who were like F students, mm-hmm. right? Which is a different, like a different headspace. Yeah, they, like didn't, they, were too, they didn't work well in the structure that they were correct. forced to operate Correct, they were too smart in. for school. So they bail out of the bottom of it and then just excelled and exploded and went off in there. It's why we know them as, as you know, stars and tastemakers and, mm-hmm. you know, pioneers. Um, but then there's a lot of us who I felt like are like, well, we have the capability to be A or A plus students. But like I said before, we're just kind of coasting around having a fine life. Right. By being B students. Or just choosing your own adventure. You yeah. know, it's hard to to do the traditional path when you're like, oh, you know, maybe we go to Morocco. You know, yeah. and like if your mind is open to saying, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. You know, it, it just changes. And the more you do those sorts of things and the more you surround yourself with those kind of people, you are without knowing it, taking a different path. <laughs> yeah. And maybe you'll come back. Maybe you'll get so far out that it just isn't comfortable anymore and you need yeah. certain things that are more in the center. Or maybe you go far to the opposite side. But there was always something that... There's always something that teases my brain that I'm yeah. like, oh, I want to check that out, you know? I think, Emily, those of us that have left our hometowns 
that had that wherewithal, had that star to follow, even if we didn't know what the star looked like or where it was actually going to right. take us. We had the wherewithal, or not the wherewithal, the, the courage, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, it is know, a lot of bravery. To, to just go, I mean, cause, and, it's, and it sucks a lot, because yeah, I do miss the people. Sure. You know, I still and miss my family. And when you go back, you, you see them, but it's never quite the same as it was before right. you left. Because right. you're speaking from different perspectives. And sometimes you can bridge that gap. I mean, yeah. you have to with your family in some respects, unless you don't talk to your family. But depends on your family and how they react to you leaving. I think that's a key facet to right, this. Right, right. Because some families are like, "Oh, la di da, oh, now you're back. You mm. moved to you moved to the city." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that happens you know? too. And there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of that in my family even now. You know, it doesn't mean I don't love them, and mm-hmm. they probably love me too. But like they, you know, most of my family has no earthly clue, and they would just as soon hang themselves with bailing wire has moved to Chicago, New York, LA. Right. You know, it's 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 anathema to their ethos. There's a sentence for you. There you go. Anyway, all right. So we we've almost got to Los Angeles. We've been doing this geography thing, but I think it's time for another song before we do that. Okay. Let's say I want to get and make sure we get all these songs in here. What is this next one? This next song is kind of one I'm pretty well known for, at least out in New York. It's called Magic. Okay. And it's I don't know where it came from. You know, sometimes you just, you pick up the guitar and you look down an hour later and it's there. Um, I think this must be one of them because I don't remember the process of writing it. Maybe I was practicing writing simpler song structures because for a while I was really into like complicated chord changes, et cetera. Um, And it's your typical, you know, unrequited love song, love Mm -hmm. song. One of the classic tropes in a good way. I love that though. It's the best stuff. I love, you know, I don't know. I, I wind up coming back to the same stuff. I'm, I'm experiencing kind of writer's block right now as a songwriter because I'm really pushing myself hard to get out of the things that I've always done. Because mm-hmm. I could I could have had the album finished two years ago if I just let it be what, I, what it would be. But I'm really focusing hard on doing that. So it's always interesting to hear someone talk about how they go about doing that. When we come back, we'll talk more about songwriting too. Okay. We'll get you to Los Angeles, geographically speaking. We'll talk about more of that sort of thing. So Emily Zuzik is my guest. You can learn about her at emilyzuzik.com. And Emily's obvious, but it's Z-U-Z-I-K. Yes. It's the last name. You can also follow her on Twitter at Emily Zuzik, I believe. You've got some stuff on SoundCloud, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Also Facebook, uh, emily.zuzik.music. Yep. And uh, it's good stuff. You've got a lot of stuff, a lot of content. That's a big word these days, the other C word. Content, content, content. But, you know, as artists, now we have avenues to do these things and to generate content that we can deliver right. to people quickly. People can find you easier and um, you can, I don't want to say help, but you can provide things for people like filmmakers or TV makers that unless you were part of the traditional system, would not have found you in the past. That's the great liberator of the interwebs, as we call them. It's a series of tubes, I think. It is a a difficult difficult maze. Emily Zuzik, let's hear this. This is the song Magic on Independence Day. Over years that I've been learning on this scene 
seems to be confirming that my gut was right I know you're a loner But I feel in my soul I could be good for you And each time I see you Each time I see you It's magic Trying to make our lives work out Never took the time to say what's truly on my mind I'm just too scared of that It's hard to be that honest When I think we're on the same page here, babe Each time I see you, it's magic Each time I see you, each time I see you, it's magic
My name is Joe Armstrong. Come to you Wednesday nights on Independence Day. Indepday.com is the place to find us. Man, it's 2017. Can you believe it? I know. Can you we believe made it. it? Unbelievable. Like I'm not super into numerology and I especially I don't actually especially like New Year's as a holiday because mm-hmm. it's really kind of arbitrary. We pick a day to flip it over because we have to have years and dates. And we do cycle around the sun, so that does make sense. But they kind of pick an arbitrary day. And, of course, for those of us who actually like to drink beer and other things, um, New Year's Eve is just kind of amateur night. Mm-hmm. It's the night when people have, who don't do these things normally have no business going out and doing it and ruin it for the rest of us. So I actually try to kind of – it's a low-key holiday for me. Um, that was the song. was Magic, mm-hmm. Emily Zuzik. That was from your New York period. Yes, it's actually on an EP as well that I put out called the Jagged Life EP. And speaking of, let's take this opportunity. You have all kind of, like, look at the list. I know, I'm busy. And that You've probably doesn't even of, have everything on it. Yeah, like this is not even comprehensive. I'm counting off, like, is it two, four, six? That's like 20 or so releases of some kind. Some of which are yeah. EPs, some of which are full-length records, some of which are probably even singles. Yeah. But that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I do a lot of you co-writing know? these days, which definitely bumps the number up. You know, I want to talk about writing and co-writing, but first, let's get you to Los Angeles. Okay, right? Because you were last uh, last time we checked in with you. Yeah, you were. I we think were growing moved, you and were expanding in, in San New Francisco, York City. exactly. Yeah. And you had gone to San Francisco. Now well, you New were, York, then San Francisco. That's what I'm saying. Then New York, New York again. Correct. You were San Francisco. Then we got you back to New York, mm-hmm. and then, but now with the focus. Yes, with the focus. And how did that go? Um, how was it different or not different? It was very different in that I was actually playing out. I'd never played. Whenever I was still tinkering with being some kind of a writer and uh, doing extra work and just oddball gigs. Um, this time I came back and I was, I mean, even with the side jobs I would do, I, I had a bit more focus. So I was working regularly. I was making money that I didn't have to worry about paying my band. So I was playing with a band more frequently. And through a couple of full-length albums that I made, I really just was introduced to some top players that are just, you know, anybody will tell you they're top players. The Keith Carlocks, the Tim LaFay. Makes a huge difference. It does. It takes, you know, it shines a turd, as they say. (laughs) But um, not that I'd say that the songs were turds, but I will say this. They they were, some of them were a lot more rudimentary than where I am as a writer now. Some of them were like, wow, where'd that come from at that point in my life? But... You know, you don't always pick when things happen. Yeah, self-deprecatory things. I get it. Like we all kind of do that. We don't want to like shine our own shine our own turds, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, you're no slouch at what you do. You know, we're all growing. We look back at the things we did when we were younger right. and think, man, I'm so much more evolved than I was then. But like, but see, I look at it from a different perspective. Like you say, okay, it was polishing a turd, and this is a stupid aside, perhaps. But you did the right thing, which is, I think, uh, like number one rule for musicians, perhaps. Uh, or one of the number one rules, if there can be more than one, is to always play with people better than you. And even Sting will tell you that. Yeah, Sting's no slouch, is to push yourself. Because when you play with people who are better than you as a writer or a player, you know, maybe you have to pay them, but that's fine. They're going to elevate you. Right. There's, Both- a great, there's a great Bowie video I was just watching where he was talking about the artist always needs to go to the dangerous place because if you start doing the comfort, then you're not doing good work. Right, and I, I I believe that. I mean, I not all of the stuff I've done is great work, and I will be the first to admit it because I was in a comfort zone, or it was just something we did. And you know, there's Detours was an EP I put out a few years ago, and it was a bunch of songs that 
my co-writer Art Hayes and I had written for commercial pitches, but some of them were really catchy. And so we're like, why should these sit on a hard drive? Let's just put them out yeah. there. Somebody might like them. Yeah. And some people have. And so there you have it. You know, you never know what people are going to like. When we were playing the songs before, when you were playing the songs, Jeff was here and we were talking about Neil Young mm-hmm. and how, you know, he is prone to flights of fancy, musically speaking. You know, he had all these different periods and yeah. he'll do stuff that's not so great and he'll do stuff that is great, but he just keeps doing it. Sometimes you, know? you don't have any control in it. It's just yeah. what you do as an artist. And it's funny, you know, in the modern uh, media environment, let's say, there's less forgiveness for that sort right. of thing they expect. And this is maybe it's the, I, I look at it as the corporatization of America. Like everything is expected to be A plus at all times. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's literally BS. It cannot be that way. Not everybody's omelet is the best omelet they've ever made. Right. Not everyone's. And what is good? It's yeah. a totally subjective standard now. Not that it wasn't before, but things have become really stratified, and what I would consider really great, some people like, nah, for whatever reason, and some things that people think are really great and that I come across, I'm like, I don't get it. Yeah. And that's fine, too, you know? There's a lot of different kinds of people and a lot of different kinds of likes out there. The dissemination of information on a grand scale has really changed the way we perceive things, because now we have access to all things at all times Mm -hmm. in our pocket, like laying in bed. I can read how the pyramids were built, you know, or or at least the Wikipedia version of how that was built or whatever. You know, I can do I can do advanced research like on the toilet. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's absurd. It's a different a, world out there. And I think, you know, I don't we don't really need to get into politics, especially, but I think this concept in our culture that's going on right now, fake news is part of this, is that this is a theory I've been trying to talk to people about a lot, but this is my big chance. But we have been we're in the information age full on now. We were taught that as kids we're going to be, and that's the next age of, of humanity. And But we've the overload of information has accelerated so quickly, and there's so much information. Your phone is sending information to everything at all times, like what you're doing, where you're, where you are. You don't even know it. And, and I'm not saying that to be a full hat person. I'm just saying that it's so much information that we can't be expected to parse all this information. There's right. no way any one human being could. And that ties into music as well. It allows artists to find their niche, to find their audience if they're willing to do the work. Anyway, I'm going to digress. We've got you back to New York and you're focused now. You're playing with top-notch players. Yeah, I'm I'm doing my rock band show. I was running songwriter nights. I co-wrote and sang a track on Moby's record. Um, and then I ended up getting married. I met my husband. We, uh, we got married. And we just decided that both of us had been there a long time. We needed a change. And for some of the things we wanted to try to do being in New York would be counterproductive. We would either right. have to move upstate or we would move somewhere and spend so much time and money getting to and from work to support this lifestyle being in New York that we wouldn't be able to enjoy it. So he was from here and um, we both liked the idea of coming back to California, uh, having both lived here. And uh, we just did it. We decided to make the move and he had some freelance work lined up I didn't really have anything lined up particularly. I had a couple of interview meetings. and But that wasn't a big deterrent. It seems to be my way. It's just, oh, I'll just figure it out. And, uh, and we got here. And uh, what we didn't realize is we had Baby on board. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Baby was, uh, is actually a Brooklyn baby. 
and um, was bathed in a whole bunch of whiskey through Kentucky and Colorado on the way out, you know. Um, but yeah, we we basically got here, and I found out a week later. I was you can pregnant. barely even see that third eye. If yeah, you, with, totally. with the way her hey, bangs the third come eye, down, man, it's very helpful at times. But yeah. the way the bangs come down, <laughs> I kid, oh, of course, she's cute as a button. She's fine. Um, but the point is, is that that really marked a grand departure of where I was. Not only being in New York and working regularly. But suddenly, I'm living across the country where I have no family nearby, not a lot of friends. All my friends had no kids. and Challenges. I all. didn't, I wasn't really plugged into the music scene here. So I'd never had time to really do the work to get into circles of people and have people know who I was. I mean, I'm still struggling with that now. And it's like five years later, five and a half years later. But it's just a... Uh, it is what it is. We're here. We like being here. We have this new addition to the family. She's amazing. She teaches me things all the time. She reminds me of things that I do and do not like about myself and presents opportunities for growth. <laughs> you are speaking like such a PR person right now. Well, you. I mean... How can you even get into the minutia? Presents of it? opportunities for growth. Well, I sound like a meeting, is what I sound. I was gonna say like. you sound like a PowerPoint presentation, yeah. is what you sound like. Um, right now. But she, it's true. You know, kids, you think that you're in control of the situation, and you're not. And yeah. how you react to being provoked, and how you act, react to stressful situations, says as much about you as it does about what's going to happen next. Right. I mean, you you're parenting, so you could you've got a, your seats closer to the court than mine. Mm -hmm. But you know, I've got lots of siblings and lots of nieces and nephews and lots of friends with kids, and I love kids. But basically, what you are handed is a little sentient being who, upon arrival, is the center of the known universe mm -hmm. from their perspective, and then gradually, your job is to teach them, then or you know, as best you can, that they're actually not. The well, I don't of the know universe. if that's the only thing you're teaching them. Well, but, I mean, and I don't even know if that's necessarily the case. I mean, I feel like in some ways you can't know what it was like before because right. it's just it's a totally different game. And re finding your place in the world, taking on those new roles is so crazy just at any human level. And then if you're an artist on top of that, it's... And a woman artist, you know, like there's like right. a million factors and I don't want to play victim here by any stretch of the mile. There's just a lot of transition. Right. It's kind of like learning how to paddleboard. You're just like, whoa, and just trying to stay from falling in the water. Or yeah. when you get, you know, when you fall in the water, you don't drown. You have to pull yourself up and like, okay, yeah. that was a fail. <laughs> but, you know, maybe I won't do that again that way, you know? Yeah. How did she change your musical experience. That's so funny because I don't really think about it, but my father-in-law said something to me over Thanksgiving. He's like, your writing has changed since she's come into your life. And I was like, hmm, I hadn't really thought about it. I thought it was more a product of like, whatever I'm doing is informed by the co-writers I'm working with. But very, there are definitely lyrical choices and stories I explore in my songwriting now that I could not have before she was in my life. Yeah. And some of them are just exploring the challenges, you know? I have a song off Angelino's called Gravity, 
which is really about figuring out motherhood. <laughs> and not that I have the answers. But in as much as that's possible. In as much as the struggle and the joy are all trying to be uh, explained, that's the wrong word, but presented, my version of that. And in some ways it's very opaque and in other ways it's very, very honest. There is an honesty that I feel like I have more of in my songwriting yeah. now. I do other other parental parental writers, writers who are parents that I've mm-hmm. spoken with on this show, and just personally speaking, uh, they say it really, you know, the time becomes a major factor, your your lack of time. Mm-hmm. You ha- you now have whereas before it's like Oh, you'd be washing dishes, and you got kind of an idea for a verse. Right. Like and you kind of like you got one pie, you yeah. can slice it up you however you kick want. Kick it around in your head for a few minutes, and then maybe when you're done, it's like, oh, it, I've got that idea for a song. But hey, look, Game of Thrones is on. Like, oh, I'll watch there's that. There's a lot for a of dictation bit. and note taking right. on your phone these days. And then you eventually kind of get around to it. But now, what I understand, and to a certain extent, this is everyone in adulthood. We all have different responsibilities than we once had. Uh, now, you know. When you get that idea, you know, you may have to take someone to dance class or, mm-hmm. you know, or God only knows, feed, feeding, endless feeding times. Um, and you have to find new ways to like, like you said, that pie, you got to cut off all that stuff that doesn't matter right. and focus on the things it does, which is this human being, this little sentient human. Yeah. And it shifts, you know, sometimes your time is more dedicated to that little being. And then as they grow and develop into people... Because they do. <laughs> that was another shock. It's like, oh, if you're doing it right. Yes, exactly. Um, there, there's distance that you know they they need you, but they don't need you in the same ways. And sometimes right. you get more time and space back. And sometimes people have a really tough t- time transitioning in those periods too. I've I've been kind of lucky. I have, a, I have one. She's a real mama's girl. So as much as it's challenging sometimes because she always wants to like be on me and like, yeah, yeah. you know, there's, there's not a lot of space sometimes for just personal, like I just need space. But, you know, there's also, she's, she's in school now and, you know, she's, yeah. that gives me days back, which I didn't have before. And uh, that's remarkable and it gives you room to stretch and grow and see who you're going to be next. And write. And write, Yeah. I do these. I have a bunch of friends who do these like twenty song challenges in a day, and so I've I've picked that up occasionally. And you don't have to finish the song by any means. Usually, it's just a verse, a chorus, a verse, and you know, a yeah. f- form. And I've done that a few times, and some stuff's come out of it. One of the first songs that Jeff and I wrote actually came out of one of those challenges yeah. I gave myself. I need something like that. Like I need like some kind of weird like Rube Goldbergian div- like deadlines like thing. That ties a rope to one of my legs hmm. while I'm sleeping, so that when the alarm goes off, it like drags me through the hallway, like out onto the lawn. Right. Like I have one chance to grab my guitar on the way out because like that's where I am right now. It's like I have so many random responsibilities doing all these different things, and some of them are self-imposed. I've, I'm a man of many hobbies or many pursuits, many avocations in my life. Um, but I'm really trying to focus on this songwriting thing, and I am having a hell of a time. It's hard. It is hard at times. You know? um, I've I've had a lot of luck, like I said, with co-writing. It's pushed yeah. me and it's kept me in check because yeah. I haven't written much on my own. I'll start these ideas, but I usually bring them to someone or yeah. I work on them down the line. Let's talk about that next. Okay. But as I always like to say, first, 
another song. Another song. You've got this wonderful band. Man, I, I keep, I'm like if being effusive about this, but it's such a delight to watch you guys do what you do. Well, Let's you. do it right now. What's next? All right. The next song is called Breaking It Down. It was from my first real studio kind record. Kind of a rocker, I think. It is. It was off a record in 2006 called You Had Me at Goodbye. Okay. And that was the, the first record I did with like the top tier musicians. It was a big departure musically for me. And ladies and gentlemen, if you want to hear what Emily Zuzik's pipes are capable of, this is the song. <laughs> right? Yeah, this is the shredder. The shredder. All right. So let's hear this. Emily Zuzik, the song is Breaking It Down on Independence Day. Down. Are you gonna come down? See your stories all around. And this time, are you going to top it? Because I've seen your kind before. Keep thinking you're at the door just so you can. To decide it Tears from tatters 
My name is Joe Armstrong. Her name is Emily Zuzik, along with her, Jeff Perlman, and Topher Alice. They are on guitars and drums, respectively. Excellent work. I wish they were here again to thank them for this. We thanked them when they split, but man, such a good rockin' tune. Yeah, yeah, they, they know how to do it well. Really quick, before we talk about writing and how you go about doing it, is like, who were the people who made you want to sing? Like, what were your inspirations? Like, when you think about you as a singer, like, whose licks did you steal first? Licks. Hmm. Well, the first singer I can remember listening to was Elvis Presley, partly because my dad is an Elvis Presley fanatic and partly because I used to have Elvis Presley records and I kind of fell in love with him when I was a little kid and I'd play them on my Fisher-Price plastic record player. Uh, He was probably the first. And then I discovered the Beatles around age 10 um, and immediately gravitated towards John Lennon. Um, I mean, I loved all the all the singing, and I loved all the harmonies and the construction of the songs. They were just sort of blew my mind. But there was always something, you know, the broken, fractured, rocker, outrageous, you know, the the typical bombast with, like, the broken child combo. There was something right. very intense and vulnerable and funny and sexy and all those things kind of around John Lennon, and I just... That was that was it, you know. Like those were the two. John had the sneer. Yeah, he did. Both, both like in presentation mm-hmm. and as well in his writing, right. had a sneer to it. Like he wasn't afraid. He wouldn't he didn't pull punches? Where it's like they all have their strengths, and I love mm-hmm. all of them. You know, McCartney with his like saccharine, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. You know, harmonies in his melodic sense. Ram. <laughs> yeah, and you know George with his like rye. Mm-hmm. approach to the, both the guitar and his life. And then Ringo, kind of like the, the doofus that they desperately needed, the levity, I think, yeah. in a way. And there that, were a like, lot of heavy cats in that And that band. weird, rambling style of playing the drums that he has. Yeah. That for being as, as derided as it is, it launched a million ships. Yeah, it's You true. know? And uh, so anyway, so that, that takes us perfectly right into this concept of writing and how you go about it. Like you talked about co-writing before. Let's jump mm-hmm. in there, which I think is a fascinating concept. Like how do you even pick? Is it such a, it's a thing where you open your heart to yeah. someone when you're writing a song. Doing it on your own is frightening I, enough. I didn't do it till I was in my 30s. Okay, but I guess that's what I'm saying. Like how did you go from being someone who was, com- first of all, comfortable enough in your own skin to write and be vulnerable enough mm-hmm. to write and then find the proper person to open well, up I to? Well, I never was like, 
it was never that organic, like, now I'm going to find a co-writer. It's usually you were working with someone, and you worked well with them, and maybe you were in a band together. And you just, you know, you're sitting around rehearsal, and I was like, why don't we play with an idea, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think when my first... Cause the first co-written song I did was with my ex-boyfriend um, who I was in the band Sex Fresh with, Ben Ratliff. And that was a band co-write. It was, right. it, and it wasn't very personal. It wasn't that kind of a song. It was, it was like a song in like 17 or something. It was some crazy right, right, right. African time signature and had this very um, Central African feel to the guitar part. And, you know, so we just sort of wrote some harmonies and some words that maybe were like about exploring and journeying, but nothing was really on the line. Um, co-writing, who was next? I'm trying to think. Did a little co-writing with Josh Kessler when we made You Had Me a Goodbye, but not much. Probably not until maybe as late as when I was working with uh, Benji Rogers, who had a band called Marwood. And now people probably know him because he's the founder of Pledge Music, um, which is a crowdfunding platform if, you know, the tech music revolution but benji and i wrote um some tunes together i don't know how i think we had played a show together and he was impressed that we both brought like all our merch and you know because musicians are notorious for forgetting cds and not working the crowd to get the mailing list but we were both doing that and um i think he was impressed by that and he impressed by the the set and so i agreed to meet up with him and try writing and you know we kind of sat in a room and it just happened yeah, and we wrote a bunch of tunes together, and we toured England, Ireland, Scotland together with Ari Hest, um, and I think it was two thousand seven. And from there, then I had another friend named Joe Lewis who goes by the moniker Sizlax. He was more a DJ electronica guy in London, who I met through another mutual friend, Will Hawkins, and um, he really liked where my voice sat, and he had seen what I did with the Roots stuff. He's like, "Would you ever consider writing?" electronic and i was like yeah because i'm as much a fan of trip hop and you know depeche mode and um electronica from the 80s and um that became we've done a lot of co-writes too and that was interesting because he would just give me a composition bed track and he didn't have any input on the lyrics or the melody so it gave me ultimate freedom working in a genre that i don't write personally or i didn't at the time which is invigorating yeah, and it it you make different decisions. Correct. Um, so once again, that wasn't a real hard on the line. When you work with someone about lyrics, like I work with Benji about lyrics, and I work with Jeff Perlman about lyrics, there haven't been that many other chords, and, and Art Hayes, but Art and I, as I mentioned, most of our writing came from the point of view of we were writing, we were pitching for commercials and TV and film. So... There's limited vulnerability in that because right. you're usually writing to some sort of a story that you have in mind yeah. or what's the theme of the show and or what's the reference track and what are they singing about. So it's a little more fill in color, paint by numbers. I'll be there for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're la- they laughed all the way at the bank. But, um, Damn hell they did. Unless they got a total buyout. I always wonder that. I was like, did they get to keep the rights or did they like sell that song? Yeah. Just thinking, oh, Good we've question. got to make rent. Let's sell it for like two grand. And then, you know, they would have been bajillionaires later. 
Um, so back to the original point, songwriting. I've only really written with a couple of people where the lyrics were on the line. And, you know, it was just a feeling. How easy was it? I've had lots of opportunities to write with other people, and it was like pulling teeth, so I yeah. just don't work with them. Yeah. I'm, I always respect the Nashville cats. Like the guys like, you know, John Hyatt, like early in his career, like mm-hmm. they would like go to a room, like go to an office, go sit in a room. Brill building, like, same Brill story. building style. Yeah. And be like, okay. Like for a some reason. A lot of reason- times that's what happens. Like Jeff and I have like three or four songs that never made it past the day we wrote them, you know, because yeah. one or the other of us were like, eh, not really feeling it. And, but each of those was yeah. written, you know, yeah. it just got together. Let's get together. What, do you have anything you're working on? Do you have anything you're working on? Or sometimes you'll like yeah. write something and be like, hey, I was thinking about this for both of us writing because and it also depends on what skill set does the other person bring to the table you know if they're really if they're out of their element in a certain genre then i'm not going to try to write a song in that genre with them because it's going to be too much work i don't know that's not the right word but yeah you want to respect what people can do yeah well there's a i think there's two kinds of getting out on a limb right Kind A is the kind we've been talking about. Kind of, it's been kind of a light motif of our conversation this whole time. It's like pushing yourself into an area where you're uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? And like, you know, for me, the times I felt most free in my life were the times I took off and I, for like four months, I drove around the country, mm-hmm. made money, whatever, doing whatever I could do, slept in the car a couple times, had adventures. Yeah. And it sounds like a pat phrase, but it's true. Like, I've never felt so free in my entire life. Yeah. It's I've an been amazing there. time. I wish I could, I'd give anything to do that right now. And, and that's a metaphor for other things in my life that I've done that way too. Like I, that's, that's type A. You're very comfortable when you're like, you force yourself into that zone. You'd kind of, Ray Bradbury, one of my favorite authors says, you know, jump and build your wings on the way down. Do not mm-hmm. jump and the net will appear because then you're expecting a net. I don't want a net. I want to fly, right? Yeah, so I like true. that metaphor better. Jump and build your wings on the way down with whatever you've got. Kind of MacGyvered if you want to use that mm-hmm. phrase. Um, Fake and the, it but, till you make it. Right. And the second time, the second kind maybe is the kind where it's like, you know it's not working. It's not like some invigorating, like, I'm going to take on the world and jump and fly. Are you happy? It's Do more, you have joy? It's more along the lines of, like you said, like, I'm not comfortable with this. And it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be in a physical way, but like in terms of writing, it's like, okay, I can't write, I don't know, fusion music, right? I can play you know, major seventh chords and all that kind of stuff and like fake it, but that's not really, I'm not going to try. Right. That's not invigorating, I yeah. guess. And maybe that's the difference. Maybe. You know? I don't I know. I don't know. Maybe. I hadn't really thought about it either. I just, I haven't done a lot. I've done a lot of co-writing, but when I think about it, most of the, you know, I guess I wrote with Moby too, and he had some yeah. input feedback on the lyrics, but not really. He just said, well, I was like, I always say to people who I work with in Electron, I was like, what were you thinking when you were writing this track? Yeah. Is there anything that this reminds you of? Because it's a jumping off point. Right. And... He just, he was telling me the idea for his book. This uh, this was a song called The Low Hum off of Destroyed, which came out, I think, in 2011 as well. And he did a photo book of photos he took on tour of um, sort of the empty spaces, the spaces in like the late, late night or the early, early morning right. where you're alone. And, you know, you're, are you lonely? Are you melancholy? Is this a daji? You know, it's like, there's a lot of different ways you could describe it, but being in like airports by yourself or just these places that are typically frequented by people, but not having people around. And so he told me about the idea for the book and I had just moved into a new apartment and all I had was a string of Christmas lights by the window. And I sat on the floor and I was imagining what it would be like to sit on the floor and look out the window when it snowed. Cause somehow it seemed like that would be perfect. 
And then I just sort of stayed in the room and I, I looked around and I listened and I could hear the neighbors through the wall and I could hear the low hum from the hospital next door. And all these images and perceptions and feelings I had, I just sort of wrote it down. It kind of wrote itself. And he had some changes here or there that he liked, but he wasn't a big... He was always about, like, don't write the obvious. He was always about, like, write it in a way that doesn't isn't clear. Show, don't tell. I don't even know if it was that. He just liked things that were less obvious. I always thought of them as being more poetic and more, like, if you took your contacts out and looked at the world, like, what does that look like? And write about that. That seemed to be, like, his jam. Um, So, yeah, the really vulnerable stuff has only been with, like, a couple of people. And that's those are the people you normally are working um, working through the lyrics more. Yeah. And then you have more on the line. And yeah. then you just have to feel it out. Are you comfortable in this situation? Do you like feeling that vulnerable? Can you push yourself through it to get to the other side? If you can't, you know, how do you get out of it? Yeah. Maybe you just stop taking the calls, you know, or whatever. <laughs> Ghost them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So let me ask you a couple of random questions and I want to hear this last song because we're just okay. about out of time for this. And it's, I'm, I'm sorry that this is ending because I've had such a wonderful time well, talking to you. you. We've me got too. more music coming up. Okay, these are just kind of quick off the cuff answers here. If there was any song written by another artist that you wish you had written, what would that be? Just off the top of your head. It doesn't even have to be a famous song. It's a song that means something to you. I'm sure there's a better one that I would come up with. The first two that come up with, uh, that I come up with are both off of Liz Fair's first record, um, one being Divorce Song and the other one being F and Run. Is there, but her first one is The Exile on Main Exile Street. On Exile on Guyville. Yeah. Okay. And that was, my, that was my scene. That was my Chicago scene when I was playing in shows. Like we were opening, you know, I'm not saying we were opening for Smashing Pumpkins, but we were mm-hmm. playing the like, same. same. We were playing the night before opening for somebody that opened for, you know, whatever. Anyway, I uh, do like the, uh, the, the uh, what's her name, the Liz Fair. Yeah. I like I the White Chocolate Space Egg record for some reason. It's a good I really one like too. Record. Yeah. Uh, and I met Brad Wood at one point living in Chicago too. Cool dude. Not the guy I expected him to be. Uh, if you could swap careers with anyone in music, who would it be? I don't know. I mean, sure, there's obvious ones if you want to get like the fame and the fortune. There's like a million names you could come up with, but there's stuff that comes with that. Right. And yeah, I don't know. Liabilities. I don't know that I would be best suited for how their life played out. Yeah, well, I, what, I don't have know, an answer. It's an open-ended question. Okay, so you're gonna you're gonna scratch on that one, um, and then the last one, I guess, before this last tune is because I always think about this in my career. Is there like a moment on stage in your life that kind of stands out from all the others? Like one, like performing one song in one venue, and you had like that moment of transcendent. Like you were self-aware of where you were and knowing that this may never, not not so much that it may never happen again. No, I don't mean I that in exactly a bittersweet way, but like that that click. When was that? Yeah, I was on tour in Ireland with. Benji and Ari and it was the last date of the tour and this was one of these like we were in a van driving around together for 10 days maybe more and we were playing this church in Cavan in uh it's I don't know like an hour from Dublin and it was the hometown of the other artist who joined up on the tour um and we were playing I think it was Step Back, which is an, a song of mine from the same era as Magic. And it had, we had three-part harmony, and we were all playing together. And it was this beautiful, pristine sound. And it was one, it was like a listening room. It was a full church, and everybody was very respectful and super attentive. And I just, 
I'm also the person who like I I will cry at the drop of a hat, but I don't normally do it in performances. Maybe because I have this like anxiety about losing composure. But I had this moment, and I knew it was the last moment that we would all be doing this in this way. And I cried and sang through it, and I didn't get, I didn't break my voice, which is the other thing. It's very hard to do. Yes, but it was the only time I've ever done it. It was, it was just, I was over flooded with, you know, gratitude and sadness, and it sounded so beautiful, and I knew that. It, I may have another beautiful moment like that, but I may not. Yeah. And so I just like, it's one of those like grace moments. My, 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 yeah. my father-in-law talks about grace moments where you just something opens up and you're privy to knowing it's bigger than you. I would like to meet that guy. You've said some pretty cool things that he said. I would love to meet that guy. Yeah, he's, he's a character. Yeah. <laughs> you are listening to Emily Zuzik giving us the good stuff. Trying. So, so thank you. Well, one more song. What is this last one? Then we got to kick your butt out of here. Okay. Well, this last song is actually not mine. It's a cover of a Merle Haggard song, and it's off of his album uh, "Back to the Bar Rooms," and it's called "I Don't Want to Sober Up Tonight." And we do it completely differently. So I hope you enjoy. And why this one? I was playing a Merle Haggard tribute show up in Santa Barbara after he had passed, and. Um, I'm, I've loved Merle Haggard, but I wasn't really that dialed into his catalog. So I was just looking at titles and I'm like, oh, that sounds like a good title. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's so it's like in keeping a with a lot of song themes I write about personally. And I listened to it and it was kind of upbeat, honky tonky in the bar room thing. I said, oh, this would be a fun one to do. Kind of like, you know, Smash an unplugged Mazzy star or something. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. really get to the heart of the pain in that song. Yeah. Because it's there. It's just it's all dressed up in a fancy suit and tie. All right. Emily Zuzik channeling Merle Haggard on Independence Day. Let's check this out. I don't want to sober up tonight. I don't want to act like things are. That's all right I don't want to sober up tonight I'm gonna get my mind a little hazy I'm here to forget all 
Emily, thank you so very much for coming in, taking the time out of your busy, rocking mom schedule to share your stories, your music, uh, your heart, uh, your intellect, your $5 words. Like, I appreciate all of it. And thank you. (laughs) And it's tough, man. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, when you're a journalist or doing a podcast, which is essentially what this is, you're asking someone to give of their gifts and their time for free. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. So thank well, you thank very much. You. It's been a delight to get to know you. It's been a delight to get to know your music. And I hope we keep in touch. And I hope to see you like play a live show in the future. Maybe we'll have a burger somewhere or a beer sometime. That sounds great. I would love that. And what's in the future for you? Like you've got the new EP, Angelinos, but that's kind of a departure. So what's next after that? Well, Jeff and I released a holiday song, which um, is called Winter in California, which has been getting some airplay. And I found out this week is going to be the featured local anesthetic on on Julie Slater's Out on a Limb show on KCSN 88.5 FM. My favorite radio station in Los Angeles. I'm psyched about that. And um, we have another song called Tender, which uh, you might hear sometime in the future on a web extra, um, that is going to be coming out next year at some point. And we continue to write. We're looking forward to trying to maybe make an EP in the next year. Trying to think, what else am I doing? Um, rocking and momming. I'm rocking and momming, and uh, I have I in my side when in Rome job out here. I occasionally do commercial acting, and I'm still waiting to get the details on when it's running. But I will be in a major national ad playing a piano bar singer <laughs> and singing an Elvis Presley song. So, Oh, um, man, you just tied the entire woo! last... Watch like, me go full circle. You just tied the entire <laughs> room together, just like the rug, like the dude's rug. Oh, that was the, be- that was the best part. I called him. My dad I was like, 
I booked this national ad. It's SAG, which is amazing. But I was like, you're never going to guess what I'm going to sing. And yeah. Of course, we knew it because we grew up like driving to Florida for right. our vacations, listening to Elvis love songs on on cassette. So, um, yeah, that's coming out too. I'll I'll be social posting about that. I don't know, you You'll know, be socialing, socialing about it. And you know, who knows what else? I'm also talking to uh, Ted Russell Camp about doing some writing together. We've sung together on one or two occasions. Do love the Ted Russell Camp. He's a good man yeah. to know. Yeah, we're all neighbors on this side we of town. We are all neighbors. It's we should all cool. have a barbecue. Yeah, we're trying to like get something happening at the high hat Which we can do in January. We can totally do that here, you know. I know. It's true. It is very true. All right, Emily, I have enjoyed our conversation very, Thank very you. much. Me too. Please stay in touch. Thanks, Visit Joe. her at emilyzuzik.com. That's Zuzik with a K, Z-U-Z-I. K.com, not a com with a Z, you get it. Also, Facebook.com slash Emily.Zuzik.Music. Follow her on Twitter at Emily Zuzik. And as always, check out Independence Day at indepthday.com. We are 170 plus episodes and going strong. Got a great year ahead. We've got some really great artists planned. I can't wait for you to hear every single one of them. Emily, thanks for joining the family. Thank you so much for having so, me. So, thank you to Emily Zuzik and Jeff Perlman and Topher Alice as well. Also, to the Independence Day staff, Dell Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The adaptable Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Check them out. You'll be glad you did. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. As always, please be good to one another.